What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your concert reviews, show photos, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry, a new father. Daniel Terry, how are you doing? I don't know if the words a new father really quite explain it, but sure. Yeah, I'm a father again, that's for sure. You're a new father. You have a new baby who you've not been a father to prior to this child existing. This is true. This is very true. Um, I've been sick for the last couple of days and I think at one point I briefly passed away, but I think I'm back again. So all things considered, um, you know, I think, I think I'm doing all right. I, I don't get a lot of sleep. I drink a lot of coffee and, uh, just haven't really been able to indulge in any beers, mostly from being sick. It's like, yeah, you know that, you know that headache, how would you like for your head to be swimming and have a headache? Well, you know, that, uh. That sounds terrible. And you're not selling uh, having a child on me any more than anyone else has ever tried doing. Uh, so having a child sounds terrible. And you make it sound like uh, everything I've ever thought is to be to be believed. I mean, it wasn't that terrible for me, let's be honest. Um, not yet. Oh, you're such an optimist. <laughs> uh, speaking of being an optimist, uh, our episode's guest is Brian Head Welch of Corn. Yeah. Um. This came about because I am a persistent motherfucker. <laughs> uh, over the course of 52 emails starting all the way back in October of last year, uh, I finally made this happen. Finally. You just called him up, right? You're like, Brian, let's do this. And he's like, John, I don't know. I don't know if we can. And you're like, yes, we can. That's how I'm going to tell myself it happened. Yeah. No, I mean, I have that power now. I, I pretty much have figured out through doing this for almost three years uh, how to figure out people's emails. There you go. Um, it's, usually just their, it's usually just their name at gmail.com. Shh. Oh, we don't say sorry. that. Sorry. That's an insider secret. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's that's my Gmail name. It's basically just my name at Gmail. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine too. All that aside, though, uh, we didn't talk about corn necessarily. Uh, the whole point of having Brian on was to talk about his documentary, Loud Crazy Love, which is available now pretty much anywhere. Uh, I believe you can get it on Blu-ray, DVD, if you still buy those. Uh, you can probably rent it on iTunes or whatever. Um, I know he's been going around doing Q&As with his daughter, Jenea, uh, after screenings of the film. And uh, for a while, it was just available on Showtime. And this was pretty cool. Um I think for me personally, this kind of came at a very interesting point in my life. Um, being married, kind of dealing with, you know, some of the things we've talked about prior on this podcast, you know, with seeing how my wife gets treated uh, in a very male-centric uh, work environment and kind of seeing just the things that she's gone through growing up and, and us having conversations about our, our lives growing up as kids and so forth. And uh, I think, you know, obviously you have daughters, um, so maybe this documentary kind of hit a little closer to you as well, thinking about how things might be of down the road with, uh, with them. Well, what I thought was really interesting about this documentary, so like la last year I, um, I experienced this a little bit where I, I was unemployed for about four months or so, and um, basically... Like I, I'd, I'd been kind of the father that didn't see my kids that often. And like, I'd see them in the evenings for a little while, but like I took a lot of work trips and stuff at the, at the old job. So whenever I was unemployed, I ended up spending so much time with them that it was like, um, a totally different world to the point where I think they're almost getting sick of me. And I, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely saw that in this documentary where, you know, the, the, the girl grows up and, very quickly, the mother figure is out of the picture, 
and um but her father is still the guitarist in corn so like they it, it's under exposure he she never gets to see her father ever then you know when she gets a little bit older he quits corn and then it's just him and her for years you know which i think kind of led to that overexposure so it was kind of weird that he he kind of got to experience both sides of that to where like they were together so much that it was like she almost couldn't stand him anymore and you know they they'd get angry at each other and and have fights and stuff i mean all parents do like i don't I, i'm not looking forward to being the parent of teenagers <laughs> like even a little bit, but that, I thought that that was really interesting about this about this documentary, and that I was able to relate to it personally at least a little bit. Um, you know, yeah, it definitely it definitely impacted me. I mean, I wasn't blubbering while I was watching it, but uh, uh, and I think I think part of that is that because it was very much a documentary about him and his daughter, but also very much a documentary about corn. Um, so there was a little bit like I I definitely enjoyed the interviews with John Davis. Um, who you know more or less had a viewpoint that was vastly different than um, than than mostly everybody else that was interviewed, um, but I kind of thought that that was commendable and that they're like you know well John was part of this too so um, this is this is his thoughts you know and I, I thought that that was really I, I thought that was actually kind of cool I thought it was pretty cool how you know I kind of asked Brian about that and because it would have been very easy for them to omit that from from the documentary as it didn't fit really the rest of the narrative of everybody else. Right. And he didn't really skirt around. Actually, he didn't really skirt around anything. I asked him uh, in regards to anything, which is really cool. And, you know, just the fact that I think it kind of speaks to Brian's willingness to have other people have varying opinions other than his own to at least showcase that, you know, it's okay that you don't agree with me, but we can still be friends and we can still be cordial and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And, I mean, that kind of correlates to, to how the episode ended uh, between him and I. Um, but, I, you know, I, I very much commend that documentary for not being uh, overly religious uh, and trying in, more in the approach of trying to sway you a certain way it didn't right. feel like propaganda it just felt like like you said like a documentary and it felt like you know that was the interesting thing to me is i went into it thinking that corn really wasn't going to have much to do with it at all um but it was interesting how that was kind of the b story and using like the old who that now footage and so forth i thought was really cool because it gave it a sense of familiarity while also kind of being like so here's this thing that you you recognize and that you know because you've lived with it so long but it's Here's the other side of it that you you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely hit from a lot of different angles, and uh, it was kind of cool, kind of getting to talk to him about things that were a little bit more off the beaten path. Because let's let's be honest, if it was a straight corn interview, it probably would have been a little bit more boring. I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, kind of speaking of something that's that's apparently boring. Uh, us. We, we, yeah, us. Um, so we got our first one-star review uh, this past weekend as of when we're recording. And uh, it, it was funny because inevitably it's going to happen. Um, but I think it's just the thing that made me laugh and when I sent it to Dan, he knew exactly why I sent it to him and why it's funny to me is because of how just so wrong it is, uh, the information that this person put into it. So I'm going to go ahead and just read it. Read the review. 
So it's from uh, this person named KSE Blues. Uh, it was posted uh, September 8th, so about almost 10 days ago at this point. So we all know who um, his favorite band is. Sure. Okay. Um, so they, we got a one-star rating uh, with the title of Expand. Which, I mean, when, when my wife showed this to me, I was like, she just goes, oh, it's called Expand, and then started reading it. And I was like, Expand? Like, what the fuck? Um, We've been doing nothing but expanding for the past two years. Yeah, I kind of feel like we have. Um, so he goes, get someone from Killswitch on the show. Besides their production manager, Joel, who you have only t- who you only talked about Killswitch with for the last 15 seconds of the interview. <laughs> You have people on the show when they're getting ready to drop a new album, but the week Killswitch does, you have Howard on and don't even mention that he is singing with Jesse on the new album. It's insane that you have people from Bullet From My Valentine unearth all their remains in a tray you on, but not Killswitch. It's pretty clear you don't like Jesse-fronted Killswitch. That's obvious. So, let's tackle this piece by piece. Okay. Get someone from Killswitch on the show. Besides their production manager, Josh, who is an awesome guy and i would love to have back on especially when he is in the weapon which is fronted by jesse uh we talked about that on that episode and how much i was looking forward to that band especially given the fact that jesse hasn't done a full-on kind of punk rocky kind of band yet secondly joel you only talked with Killswitch about him for the last 15 seconds yeah no shit because guess what when i talked to him There was no record, there was no single, there was no nothing. So how am I supposed to talk to someone about a record that they can't talk about yet? Right. Yeah, they're literally not allowed to even talk about it. And, like, that's something that I brought up first is that, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of questions that we would love to ask that the artists are simply just not allowed to tell us due due to contractual obligations. So it's it's like we're not going to turn down the interview just because they don't want us to ask kill switch questions because maybe they've got something cooking that they don't want to be public knowledge yet. I mean, and that, that, that's really not our fault. And and I think the, the biggest travesty of the whole review to me was where he was like, it's obvious that we don't like Jesse fronted kill switch when John and I both on different podcasts have gone on record saying that we enjoy the Jesse fronted kill switch the most, not that we Jesse hated the Howard other bands yeah like n- not that we hate the howard kill switch we don't but you know the jesse kill switch was the first kill switch i'd ever heard so there's a certain amount of nostalgia there and it just sounds right hearing him singing on with the band you know and uh if only you could have seen you know the emails between i presume it was jesse i think uh when i was almost uh i almost had a show booked with uh the empire shall fall a band that i really love uh, and at the time of that band coming out, I said, and if you had MySpace back then, and I could pull it up, I could show you my exact uh, posts about them when they posted uh, We the People and saying that it felt really good to hear Jesse singing with conviction uh, behind a, a metal, more metal-fronted band. Uh, something new. It sounded like kind of the, the more modern metal core kind of sound with the bluesy riffs mixed against, you know, kind of heavier stuff. Um you know what, though? We've made the joke that I have stuff, if I could go and find it on one of my blank CDs somewhere, uh, the dubstep weird thing that Jesse was doing that was only available on MySpace. Uh, I would just ask him about that then, <laughs> just to prove that you think that you know that I don't like Jesse or that Dan doesn't like Jesse, and you couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not even... Here's the thing. I, I as a, As a podcaster, 
I don't have any problem with negative reviews. I really don't because a lot of them, a lot of them sometimes contain information that I probably need to hear that maybe my friends were too nice to tell me or, you know, like, like objective criticism. So, I mean, even if they're review, cause like normally when you get a bad review, we might read it or say something about it, but we don't typically break them down like this one. What, what really stood out about this one was that unfortunately all the issues were things that were completely beyond our control. If and to address even the Howard one, you and I talked previous to that. It's like the how, Howard with Kill Switch thing has been beaten to death. Totally. The Howard, like, devil you know drama had been beaten to death. Yep. So what's something that we as longtime Howard Jones fans hadn't heard people talk about? Blood has been shed. Exactly. Which led to a conversation that I just did tonight as a one recording with Corey Unger of Blood Has Been Shed. And holy shit, are you, if you thought that went viral with Howard, I think there's going to be plenty of stuff that uh, Blood Has Been Shed fans will look very much forward to hearing uh, when we drop that episode. But yeah, I think like Dan said, the thing that was a little bit frustrating for this to me, other than it, you know, obviously drops our, our overall rating to a four and a half now instead of a, a five, is just there literally is reasons behind every single comment or knock on the podcast and the overall dissertation that they put on it's clear that we don't like insert whoever and it's like that's that's really not the case (laughs) yeah not at all like and you know if you reviews that you guys suck or i you know i just don't like dan's voice or especially not tonight because i'm all congested but uh it's like if i don't like dan's voice or i don't like the questions that john asks or 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 whatever like those kind of criticisms are like yeah i mean that's your opinion it's objectively not true or untrue you know it's just uh it's just how you feel um where this was not that though. So it's not even necessary that we're bashing the person that it was reviewing us as much as it's just like, here's why, like if you're, if your question is, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Well, that's why we either, we couldn't, or we were trying to expand by asking outside of the box questions and having, uh, and having questions brought up that I think most interviewers either don't care about or didn't think to ask. And even more to that point, uh, we are hopefully going to have Jesse or Adam uh, on. Uh, however, as the two most requested people from Killswitch Engage, uh, obviously their time is more limited and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're just playing the waiting game at this point. Uh, I'm, to, I'm to just going to ask. I'm just going to ask Adam questions about the prices, right? So I mean, I uh, I think at this point now that we have done. Two fourths of Blood's Manchet. I almost feel like I need to get Justin on and, and talk about Blood's Manchet from his. Uh, there is a great story that Corey told about the recording demo wise of uh, Spirals that had me dying and just shows the true genius of Justin. <laughs> well, yeah, we need to definitely need to do that. And uh, all of that aside, uh, let's get into my conversation with Brian Head Welch, and we will talk to you afterwards. <laughs> Uh, 
so I have the pleasure of talking to Brian uh, Head Welch of Corn, uh, whose latest documentary, Loud Crazy Love, is is out now via the Showtime app. Uh, I believe it's on DVD at this point and all digital retailers, uh, wherever you can get those. And uh, you know, what? I'm gonna jump right into to this documentary, which I thought was really interesting for a multitude of reasons. But uh, you know, I kind of wanted to know throughout this whole process, what have you learned? about relationships with the opposite sex, you know, going through this? Um, just that uh, there's a lot of differences, you know, and whether you're, whether it's friendships, you know, um, like father-daughter or, uh, you know, marriage or girlfriend-boyfriend, it's just you learn a lot, you know, and it's, um, you know, I got a lot of... Uh, emails obviously in my family and friends and everything and it's just it's crazy it's like there's we're just so different in so many ways you know and um it's just uh it's a learning process right Absolutely. and so that's why i needed to go to the place called awakening youth that um they helped me communicate with my kid because i couldn't communicate with her i didn't know you know i didn't understand what her her feelings, you know, and her, all of her changes, you know, as a female teenager growing up, it's just like scientifically and what happens in the brain is just crazy. I've read all about it. And, uh, and so, yeah, they helped me out a lot because I couldn't do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's definitely a thing. Like my wife and I, I typically hang out with all of her coworkers who are mostly female and, you know, I've been kind of been accepted into the lady gang of sorts, but it is just, it's incredible the amount of perspective and knowledge I've gotten to gain over the almost 10 years of being with my wife uh, and just learning the struggles that women go through constantly. It's very, it's very shocking at times uh, to, to hear that, you know, we're in 2019, but just hear the antiquated uh, things that they go through, like where you're like, wow, really? Like you, you go through that at your job where men are kind of still being dicks uh, and and devaluing your opinion and your experiences because of your gender. Like it, it's kind of wild. So I can't imagine what it's like going through that with a daughter. Yeah, dude. Every bit of uh, you know, just everything. It's like you want to kill people, you know. Sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and you want to help her in every way, but it's like, you know, in this life, we have to learn by by good times and bad times, heartbreaks and uh, successes. And so, you know, it's just, you do, all you can do is just be there, I think. And, and kind of give, you know, give, give advice and everything. But a lot of times, you know, young people, they don't want to listen because they got to go, they got to, they got to find out for themselves. So. Absolutely. Um, something, you know, about this documentary that I really loved is a, is a very long time corn fan. I mean, uh, you know, being in my mid thirties and being around, you know, in the, the VHS era, um, is the incorporation of the old corn home videos that I feel like a lot of us, you know, it was like those Pantera home videos for us. A lot of us corn fans, you know, getting to know all of you guys, getting to see the experiences of making these records and so forth. And it kind of gave a sense of familiarity while also providing new layers of the narrative of what you were going through, was this kind of your intent with working with the, the documentarians that you were working with on kind of bringing people in through something that they're familiar with while also adding to the story? Um, honestly, we, we didn't get that deep at all. We were just like that Pantera documentary is so cool. Let's do one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was like that Pantera 
I don't know if it was one or two, but it was just like, wow, you just get into the, see what goes on. And, and, uh, we just wanted to do the same thing. And, uh, we're just all goofy and, you know, we, we get down and serious with our music and, and get into it and love it. And it's a lot of emotional things going on with the lyrics, but when we're off just hanging out, it's a lot of just laughter. And sometimes we can't even do photo shoots cause we're, cause we're laughing so much or, you know, one guy says something and then everybody starts laughing and I'm like, okay, come on, serious, get serious, you know? And so it's a challenge, but yeah, those were, those were good at just opening the, uh, the door to like, Hey, who are these guys behind this crazy music? I guess I was kind of thinking about it more from the documentary's perspective of adding in that footage was the point of that really to drive home the point of like, you think, you know, who I am, but here's this whole other side that was congruent with a lot of the things I was going through at the same time. Yeah, I think so. You know, if we're moving on over to to my documentaries that you're asking about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, if you think about it, the, the who then now VHS you're talking about that, that was just us in our early twenties, just being boys, basically, you know, just starting out as a, uh, you know, we, we never had to grow up really, except get these little jobs that we could help pay rent in a little apartment that that uh, had like four or five of us living there. And so we didn't, <laughs> but all we did was like just hang out and laugh and never grow up, you know. And then, uh, so on that, who then now VHS is just like us goofing around and all that. And then you would compare that to my documentary. And it's like that lifestyle of, you know, us just being boys and drinking and partying and just, you know, women and all that, that lifestyle, uh, how that affects a person, you know, whatever it was, 10, uh, 15 years later, I'm guessing when my documentary comes out, it's like, okay, now I got to fix all the damage I caused. Right. And it's, a, uh, it's a crazy thing. And so with my documentary, it's, uh, I always tell people what you're seeing is us in the process of getting to uh, a place of happiness where I am now. So that person in the documentary, that's, yeah, I went through that, but that's not me now. You know, I'm just like, life is good. It's not perfect, but it's good. And uh, I'm stronger to face the, uh, the difficulties, but it's just, it's just crazy when you think about when you weigh those two um, documentaries together and, and the difference, you know? Absolutely. Um, so a question I actually had for your daughter, Jenea, um, and maybe you can you can answer this for me, is just, you know, I think it's interesting in this this day and age, you know, like where technology started becoming omnipresent in our lives. You know, you guys collectively in Corn had a lot of, you know, access to cameras and so forth and being able to film a lot of the experiences you were going through and you know obviously with uh jonathan's kid you know being on the on the doc, uh those who that now videos and, and Janea being on there as well has it been interesting for her do you know if it's been interesting for her to be able to kind of see her life uh through the the corn prism as it were uh for a lot of uh corn fans and a lot of people in general who you know, or like, oh, like we saw you on these videos and, and now we kind of feel like we, we saw you grow up. Right. Yeah. And it's it's, it's crazy, though, because uh, they do remember her. You know, she was on those videos and she was just a tiny baby. And then, you know, the movie, it just shows her journey of, you know, the, the problems that we had. And 
And I think everyone has a All the guys, you know, have kids and some of them are grown and, you know, they could, they could all do a documentary, you know, <laughs> about their struggles, about their struggles and their pain that they, uh, and the things they saw while growing up, because it was a mess, man, with all of us, it was a mess growing up. And so, uh, I think so. And I think she's, I, I think she just wants to show people that no matter what, what kind of cards you're dealt in life, that you can get through it and you can get to a happy place, you know, and overcome all the, the things done wrong to you or just, you know, all that stuff. Something, you know, in watching the documentary that was interesting to me and it's, man, it, it's so interesting, you know, in watching something like this where I feel like there are parallels between my own life, you know, kind of coming out of my adolescence into a young adult into now my mid-30s and so forth and becoming an adult and being married and so forth. But something that was interesting to me is the fact that this film touches on the whole experience from your perspective and kind of figuring out who you are when you're not head from corn. But Brian, who has a child and is going through a lot of life things. And I kind of wanted to know what it was like to kind of that reintroduction to kind of figure out who you are as a person once the, your quote unquote identity has been taken away. Right. Cause you, it's crazy, man. It's because we want to, we wanted that dream to come true and we wanted to be these guys. And then when you become it, it's like, what's life really about? You know, it's like, who am I? And, and so, uh, it was, it was a trip to get to know the real me. And I didn't, I, I needed to find out who I was because I didn't even know who, who I was or wanted to be and everything. And that's why, how my faith came into play. And, um, you know, just, just all of that just uh, woke me up to like, you know, who do I want to be? Do I want to, do I want to be this guy struggling with alcoholism addiction my whole life? Or do I want to be this person that can overcome it and, um, and heal and get my emotions in check and wake up every day as a, as a to be proud of myself, you know? And so, yeah, it was a, it was a long journey, but I, I have found out who I am and I am touring like crazy just you know we just started we're on at the end of a six-week tour and so i do have those moments where i'm like what like where what am i going to be like when i'm home who am i when i get off this road you know and, and so but it's a lot easier to to um process when uh when i'm you know not killing myself with all that all the junk so out of curiosity and again this is more of a question for Janea, but how hard was it to kind of reestablish your guys's relationship now that she had to probably refigure out who her dad was because it's not the father that she probably was used to who was gone all the time and doing i mean that was something the documentary really touched on and and you know my dad worked a lot of second and third shift jobs so like it kind of touched home with me where it's like i have memories of my dad and i valued them as a youth but I also understood he wasn't around because he was providing for us. So, I, I mean, it's not quite the extre extremity that Janaea went through. But it kind of makes me wonder, was there a readjustment period of, of her trying to figure out who you were and how she fit, how you fit into her life when you're not gone for all these extended periods of time? Yeah, that's a great question. We've done, me and her have done appearances, and so I can't answer these questions. She does, she prefers, like, in-person things, you know, more than 
the, the phone interview. So apologies for her not being here, but, um, she, uh, so she, she had like two lives. She had this, you know, from zero to five or whatever, one to five, she, she had this like rock star dad and she was trying to process that me being gone, her coming to concerts and seeing all this chaos and like, what, what do you do? This is your job, you know, trying to process it at a five-year-old with a five-year-old mind or, and then, and then all of a sudden she got this other dad. That's like kind of, she, she says that she, she felt like kind of a preacher's kid. Um, after the rock star kid. So with people like kind of, um, judging her for that or, or, you know, people even saying weird things to her, like, you know, about my tattoos and stuff, just religious people, you know, it's like, I'm very spiritual and yes, you know, the, the religion, you can put God with religion and everything, but the over religious people like the judge, tattoos and all that stuff i just there's no connection there with me and them and so she had to deal with them growing up especially when um the social media you know it was growing since you know we had emails and everything but then social media started coming out whenever facebook came out and everything and so she had to deal with all of that and then and then um she had to she felt like she had to be this type of person where she couldn't like you know what I mean? Like she had to be perfect or something and, and nice to everybody all the time because, because of whatever I believed and everything. So then she was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be what my dad is. I don't even like a lot of these people. They're judgmental. They're weird. They, uh, you know, they, they think they're perfect and holier than now. And, and so she started to like, not want any of that. And she's still figuring it out right now because so am I, bro. There's like, there's so many just people that you just you're like really i do not want to be associated with this type of person this type of belief system and this type of judgmental or whatever in or naive a lot of the people are just like so naive that they're like so tell me how can you play that rock and roll and and be a you know a jesus follower i'm just like oh gosh it's it's so hard you know sometimes but i know how real it is and yeah she's still trying to figure it out but she did have a, a thing where she was like, you know, who is my dad? <laughs> but, uh, but we're in a good spot right now. And she's, she knows we're, we're definitely out of the box when it comes to like, you know, Christ followers. And I'm, I'm way more intense than her nowadays, but, uh, she's, she's figuring it out and, she, and she processed a lot of that. I think that was something that struck me between reading your books as they've come out and so forth, which is it's, it's interesting in, in following someone who is, I mean, I'll just call you an author at this point, because you feel like you get just very much like a record. You feel like you're getting a snapshot of what's been happening since the last book. And between the two books that you put out at this point, you know, I feel very vested in the story and, and the, the progression of your relationship with your daughter and your, your ex-wife and your bandmates and all this kind of stuff. So like the documentary itself, was a, a very good kind of uh i'll call it a, a linchpin of sorts to kind of keep the narrative and keep the interest going um all of that aside you know something that's been interesting to me and thinking about you know you writing the first book save me for myself and this documentary is how hard is has it been really to open up warts and all about everything your addictions and so forth but you know something that really struck me in the documentary especially is just hearing your brothers in the band, especially Jonathan, really opening up and just kind of 
you know, pardon the language, but really kind of shitting on everything you kind of believe in. And it's like, to me, that spoke about, I don't believe in any kind of a religion, but I believe in the the core values of, of people. Like, you know, everyone, you know, I would say you would probably say like the Ten Commandments, but I think a strong set of morals will never steer you wrong. So all of that, you know, said, I think when I listened to Jonathan speak very, very candidly about how he feels about it, I was like, I think it really speaks to the fact that you guys are able to put aside your differences and there's a really bonding moment for both of you to see that you guys have been able to overcome all of these things that have happened in your career and in your lives and you're still able to be friends in spite of the differences you have and to me i think that speaks to the the uh probably the clarity uh that you've gone through in finding yourself and and overcoming your addictions and and finding in religion and, and god and all that kind of stuff but how hard was it to kind of keep that in there because i feel like that would just kind of be one of those things as a person where you'd be like man that's a bummer to hear that he feels this way and that's someone that i i feel so strongly about yeah um you know i was ready for him to shit on me a little bit you know because uh because I know how he felt, you know, so I wasn't surprised. And the funny thing is <laughs> these guys that put the movie on, they're movie maker. They're, they, they're, they're what movie makers. What do you say? They're whatever they're filmmakers, that make freaking <laughs> movies. filmmakers. <laughs> and they, uh, they wanted, they're like, man, we need a friend of yours. Like, cause we went to Bakersfield, California where we grew up and we were looking for, they wanted someone to be like, Look, I love Brian, but he's he, he turned into an idiot with this stuff, you know. And basically, they wanted a villain for the story, and they're and they didn't get any. My friends were like, "Man, he's he, I'm proud of him. His life's better. He's done good for his daughter, which is all true." But as filmmakers, they wanted something juicy for the story, and then Jonathan ends up being that guy, and they didn't even know that he was, you know. But uh, he's really raw. He's, He's just like that, man. He does it in the music. He does it in conversation. He just—he's really raw with his uh, with his feelings and and just um, you know explaining how he feels about things. And you can see as he's as he's talking about me leaving the band, he's just like so pissed. He's like, this motherfucker goes goes to this you know radio station and tells him that he's leaving the band right in the middle and we're doing a deal. And so you could see like the the anger that he still carries for that. And now I will say that we filmed that like five years ago, and so he's a lot, he's a lot better now. But um, Jonathan actually actually grew up in in church a little bit in his life. His dad had a, a same thing as me. His dad was a rock and roller and playing the clubs and drinking and partying and all that. And then he became a, like a full on fanatic of a, a Christian fanatic, you know, and. Um, so Jonathan got the got both sides just like Jenea. And um and so he had wounds from back then. And so anything to do with you know, someone trying to, you know, oh, you're gonna go to hell if you don't do this or that, he's like he said it in the movie, he's like, It's fucking irritating, you know, and you could see it and he still feels like that. That's still real. But uh but yeah, I mean, I just love him how he is and I understand, man, because religion the over-religious churches, the over-religious people out there um, have really screwed people up. And there's there's a lot of damage there done. And so I, I understand why he he's like that and doesn't want nothing to do with it. And there's all kinds of people out there. But 
I mean, it's my family. If we have a family member, you know, or a sister, or brother, or whatever, that doesn't agree with us on something, do is our family broken up? You know. And I I understand that I did have to leave corn for a while because of all the drugs and everything. But now that I'm back and no one's doing hard drugs or doing the the, the old things that we were doing, it's a it's a thing where like we can have differences and I can live with you and it's okay. You know, you know who I am and I know who you are and I love you just the way you are. Absolutely. Uh, kind of the last uh, couple of questions because I know I got you for a couple of minutes longer. Um, you know, something that was kind of interesting to me is, uh, you know, speaking to Jonathan's stance on everything, you know, it's kind of a stark contrast uh, to the rest of the film as far as the narrative that it kind of is presenting. And I know from what I understand from your publicist that there is going to be a family version of this this documentary put out. Will that part remain in the film, or are you gonna? Are there plans to kind of clean that up to make it a little more family friendly? Um, no, it's basically the same, and I think they just like. Uh, I mean, the, the filmmakers did not want to do it, and some of the some of the like they're like, no, this is art, this is real, we got to keep. And uh, it's funny to say, but I'm in the band corner, and I'm like, dude, I want to do it just because there's. You know, there's some young kids that their parents are all weird and they won't be able to watch it, you know. And so I want to do it just to help them, you know, because they're going to they're going to get ready to go through some stuff that Janae is going through because that's what teenage years are all about. And so I want to help as many people as I can. So but it's it's still it's still raw. It's it's just a couple of those are just muted. And then, uh, yeah, that was it, though. You know, something that was kind of interesting, too, uh, about the documentary to me, thinking about it from just if I were watching this, if like my if my wife was your in your daughter's position and I was going through all these things with her. And a question I kind of had for you is, you know, you probably were aware of some of the issues that your daughter was going through. But in the context of the documentary, because maybe she's doing some of these interviews prior to you know, the, the ending of the movie and so forth. Were you kind of surprised to, to see how candid she was getting about a lot of the problems she was going through? Were you aware of all the problems that she was going through at the time? Um, yes, because I, uh, well, some of the stuff like got me, man, where I was just, I started bawling because when, when she's like explaining me being gone all the time and her mom being gone and, and it shows that video of her at a swim meet and, and then in her interview at present day, she's crying and I'm just like, man, she still remembers that. And she still has that still fresh wound in there. So that got me. But as far as like the self-harm and, and all that stuff, uh, that, I knew about that because I was trying to deal with it myself with a once a week counselor before she got into that place. And before we had her do the interview and all that, but, um, I will say that she, I gave her the option. I was like, look, you don't have to do this at all. You know, you don't have to be in this movie. You don't have to do any of this. It's whatever you want to do. And if you do do it and say, yes, I'm going to do it, you can have all the footage. And if you don't like the footage and you say, I don't want you to use it, none of it, then we don't have to. And you can just keep it for yourself or throw it away or whatever. So, yeah, she was brave, man. She was like, I want to help people. So. 
you know, kind of uh, last question and kind of wrapping up, just because this has been interesting to me to see uh, developing in the last couple of weeks leading up to this. Uh, it has been announced that you are working on a new band uh, that consists of a lot of members, safe to say, that uh, either are or were at one point kind of tied to the Christian rock metal scene. And there seems to be a lot of expectations as to what it is. And, and I, interestingly enough for me, a lot of people are kind of like, well, I really loved In Love and Death. What's going on with that? So it does make me kind of wonder what what is the intention for this new project and in spite of in love and death kind of almost being a, a counterpart to the book initially is that kind of the same thing with this band like where it's going to kind of be a, a counter product to this documentary uh for its wider wider release and so forth or uh what what exactly is going on with this band well, it's going to be the love and death record i'm just going to have some guests on there you know and uh and we'll see you know we'll see what, how it all ends up. You know, you, you plan and then you, you try your best and whatever happens. I mean, some songs might not make it. We'll see, but it's like 80% done. And yeah, breaking Benjamin guitar players on it. Uh, um, I was talking to Spencer from under oath and we're hanging out with them a lot in this tour and, uh, and, uh, Lacey Flyleaf and, you know, things like that. Uh, ben from breaking Benjamin, said he wants to sing on it, but I think getting him to do anything is really hard. <laughs> but uh, if it's not Breaking Benjamin, but uh, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's just going to be Love and Death and just a new uh, thing that we're doing, just collaborations. That's all. It just sounded fun, you know, and so we're going to go for it. Absolutely. I uh, I definitely got to say, I, I caught your set in Detroit. Uh, I was interviewing uh, Chris Munderoth, and uh, it is one of those things where, because I had a two-and-a-half-hour drive back home to Grand Rapids uh, and then had to work early in the morning, that I was like, you know, I would love to see Corn set, but I got a long drive, and I had a long day the next day. I'm not going to stick around. And then I stuck around for a little over half your set, and I was like... You know, the last time I really saw this band, other than the, the 20th anniversary of the self-titled record, was the Untouchables tour, which I know is a, a kind of very pivotal moment for you and, and your rediscovery of who you are and, and all of those things. And I got to say, and I just want to say this as a, as a longtime fan, man, it is great to see all of you guys still playing. Like, I mean, the fact that you're, spoiler alerts, you're playing Blind and Divine straight up in the front of the set as a longtime coin yeah. fan is just like... Holy shit. Now, more importantly, though, I, the person I was with at the show when you guys cut into some of the newer material is I was like, this sounds heavier than the heaviest corn song I thought there was. So I'm really excited for some of this new stuff coming up. And I just want to commend oh, you guys wow. that all these years later that you guys have still got it. The, the fact that you put a lot of money back into the production and are honoring longtime fans and new fans is something that I find very commendable. So thank you for being true to all of yourselves and for providing people like myself who have been with you guys for a long time uh, an outlet for when we feel awkward or whatever. And with the documentary between Who Then Now to even the documentary you're putting out yourself of just putting yourselves out there because it means a lot to myself and a lot of other people I'm sure who are may listen to this. So on behalf of myself and anyone who listens to this, thank you for, for everything that you have done over your whole career. Dude, thank you so much, man. That means a lot. And you know what? Because we want 
we we love the the you know the the old fans and to us like the mostly it's like all uh you know all the everyone there's probably got some connection from the past to us you know and so but to hear you say that is just so amazing because you know that yeah corn went off on the um electronic phase and everything and i didn't i didn't love that but uh but if you know they did it and when i got back in the band it was like who is corn i want to be who corn is which was the guys from the beginning but in a in a new fresh way because like you said we want I'm so glad Jonathan fell in love with country music again. That's all I got to say because he went through the electronic phase and and uh, but but I like it all. So what? Thanks for saying that, man. I appreciate it. No, I mean like legitimately, you uh, were my first concert with my dad. The first concert I wanted to go to was the Sick and Twisted tour you do with Stained uh, and Mindless Self Indulgence. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and uh, that was a memory my dad and I still have. Uh, when we went to the Untouchables tour, that was a show we went to together. Corn became the band that you know was the link between my dad's era of bands that we would go see to then my ba- era of bands that I wanted to see. Uh, so you know, it's it's just a, a thing where Corn is multi generational, and my dad and I are a very strong. Uh, sense of that and we have a lot of memories of seeing you guys together and i kind of was bummed that i didn't get to see him uh, in detroit with you guys uh playing but hopefully you'll come back to grand rapids and i'll be able to uh buy my dad a ticket and come see you guys and, and relive you know that moment again with my father dude that would be awesome man if you uh save Kristen's contact if we come back i'll treat you guys Oh, that would be great. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you yeah, so man. much for taking this time to uh, talk about this documentary. Like I said, it, it meant a lot uh, watching it with my wife and, and watching it in conjunction to everything you put out. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time and enjoy your set tonight and enjoy the rest of the tour. And hopefully uh, maybe we'll get to talk again uh, somewhere down the road. Awesome. That'd be awesome, bro. Can I just tell you one thing? Um, I know you said you're not religious or anything. I was the same th- same way. And and I'm not going to get weird on you. I'm just just that God is real. I, the only difference between you and me is that my eyes have been open, and that's it. I'm not better than anyone, but just just keep your mind open as you go through life. But uh, good talking to you. Hit us up when we come through again, and take care. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. So that was my conversation with Brian Head Welch of Corn. Um, something that I took away from that that I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> There's actually a couple of uh, talking points that I thought were interesting. First of all. And I didn't notice it until I was going back and editing the conversation was him saying, you know, right at there at the end, thank God Jonathan found his love of heavy music again. Yeah, that was interesting um, because, I mean, <laughs> have you heard the last two Corn albums, especially the new one that's been released since we did this chat? Like, um, it's it, it's astounding to think that he lost that, although I can I can kind of see it with like the dubstep record and everything. But I mean, even that was still coming from a perspective of heavy music. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was pretty cool, you know, and and obviously we did this chat before most of the new Corn record stuff had kind of been dropping. I think at the time we did this, I think You'll Never Find Me was the only single that had been out at that point. Um but it was kind of interesting to kind of get his take on that. Um you know, a lot had been made recently of his saying that he was going to tap, you know, Spencer from Under Oath, Lacey from Flyleaf, someone from Breaking Benjamin and so forth to do this this new project. And I was interested to, you know, just kind of quickly talk up to him about that and be like, okay, you know, and a lot of people have been going like, well, what's going on with Love and Death? You know, that builds enough of a fan base that people are still wanting another Love and Death record. And I thought it was pretty cool to find out that basically 
that will be what the new Love and Death record is. It just will have some guests on it. And that, you know, the, the record is about 80% done already. I think that's cool. But, I mean, this is just my opinion. So take it with whatever grain of salt you want to take it with. Expand. No, I feel I feel like, yeah, actually, John, I wrote that review. Uh, but, no, it's a, <laughs> the big reveal. Um, but, no, my opinion on Love and Death is that it's, it's, they're just an unfortunate band in the sense that, like, they came about, they were his current project, and then, you know, it's like it's like your old boss calls you and it's like, dude, I'll pay you double the money, come back, but then you're like, oh, but I still have this other job, too, that I do, and he tried to make both of them work for a while, but, like, I've I followed Love and Death kind of since their inception, and I think... It, it just is kind of a bummer because I was like, oh, well, this is this is his new band. And it, it sounded like a little bit like Korn, but it was different enough for you to be like, oh, yeah, it's the dude from Korn singing and playing guitar and stuff. And then, you know, once he rejoined Korn, you know, Love and Death kind of fell off. And then, you know, at one point they, they basically had a guy be the lead member of the band become the new lead singer of the band and that Brian was just going to scream in the band. And it was just one of those, like, what is going on with this band? So, I, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I was very surprised that he, that, like, anything was even happening with that band. I just figured that they were they were done. I think the thing that's interesting about Love and Death is, you know, a lot of people, when Korn went there, the way they ended up going, uh, you know, a lot was made of the fact that the Korn sound was in Love and Death. And I don't know if that's what garnered a lot of people to go check that out as fever, feverishly as they did uh, or not. Um, I mean, it's one of the few instances, I mean, it obviously didn't reach the level of corn, but I think it was one of the few instances where I did see a lot of fans follow Brian into that project where, you know, I think you and I can both agree a lot of times when a person leaves a bigger or successful band and starts, starts their own thing, you tend to see that they do not achieve any success. Yeah, not really. And, you know, he covered that in the, in the uh, documentary a little bit, uh, and then he was all like, you know. I left the band to follow God and I followed God and he ended up basically just getting involved with some people that weren't like on the up and up. And like, he's like, I followed God, but like now my daughter hates herself and you know, I've given up, I've given up everything to be with God and to be with my daughter. And you know, my daughter hates herself. God had me start this new band that was like a Christian band and like nobody cares. Like nobody's coming to the shows. Like why did I, you know, it was, it was, it was that it was probably one of the most interesting parts on the movie was that he's like, dude, I gave all this stuff up. And for some reason now I feel just as empty as I ever did. And, um, I thought that that was really honest you know, in the sense that, like, when because, I, I, you know, I've watched a lot of Christian movies, and I've watched a lot of Christian documentaries, and and I thought that that's what this was going to be, and it was not that, and and I and I that, that's what that's what I think I enjoyed the most about it, like his faith is still there, it's inspirational. I mean, even at the end of the interview, and I don't know if you're going to leave this in or not, so I'm just going to spoil it, where you know John happened to mention that you know. uh He's like, yeah, you know, he's he's like, I'm, you know, you were like, I'm not, I'm not religious or, or anything, you know, uh, but I thought this was inspirational or that or whatever, that he even took the time out at the end of it to be all like, well, you know, um, I know you don't believe or whatever, but I just wanted to, you know, say what I feel like I need to say, you know, to you. And I thought that that was kind of cool. And it, it made me think a lot about, uh, I'm not going to try to get too spiritual here, but like, 
it made me think a lot about like evangelism and some of the things that I have issues with where it's like, you know, it's like John Davis said, he's like the problem with, with religion is that, you know, people are always trying to assimilate, 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 like trying to always, always trying to get you to join their team. And, um, but what I thought was interesting about about head saying that to you at the end of the interview is that like, if you really want to make an impact on somebody, like what better person, like, like, like who are you going to, who, if some random preacher off the street comes up to you and says, all like, John, you need to find Jesus. You're going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. But if Brian Head Welch says it, doesn't mean you're going to do it, but you're not going to be, like, put off by the fact that somebody like him was like, hey, just wanted to say this to you. You know, like, I don't think it was – it didn't come off as weird or hokey. No. I think the thing for me about it – and I, I don't remember if Jonathan said this in the documentary or not or if it's just kind of my own two cents. Um I'll say this. I'm not trying to offend anybody uh, with my my statement, but just it's something I've kind of noticed um, in listening to a lot of podcasts over the last couple of days. Uh, a lot of them are dealing with people who are sober, uh, have you know decades of sobriety, um, still kind of deal with the issues of that you know daily, um, and just kind of you know addiction as a whole. And something that was interesting to me in thinking about it is, it seems like. You, you you don't get, end up getting sobriety without having a little bit of religion pushed on you as well when you go through like the 12 step program and so forth and i i kind of was wondering you know cuz in listening to the nerd id10 podcast formerly the nerdist podcast you know the, him and chris hardwick and craig ferguson were talking about and even a, an episode i listened to with nikki glazer they were talking about basically how some addicts will replace things and just the addiction isn't necessarily to alcohol or to sex or whatever, but they replace the addiction with something else, whether it be working out or, you know, uh, work or a lot of other things that you addiction can look like many different things. And just because it's not on a terrible thing, like doing heroin or drinking to yourself to death, it it still can manifest itself negatively in other ways. And so it kind of made me look at religion sort of a different way where I was like, how many addicts find religion because it's the new thing to be transfixed on. And when you kind of look at a religion in that res- that sorts, it's it's more understandable why people kind of are a little I wouldn't say pushy, but um, a little more vocal about those things because I mean, I I did this thing and now I I replace this one addiction with this other addiction in this this religion this this uh, sense of community this other thing instead of going to a bar and getting loaded with my friends now I go to this building this other building on a different day and or multiple times a week and i you know go head first into this thing uh no pun intended and it's it's a thing where i i can't help but kind of see parallels there um so i mean that that's kind of not saying it's people printing on the week uh obviously if you're able to turn your life around for the better then then i'm all for that um i just can't help but see parallels for one addiction and trading it in for something else. I think it all depends on your perspective. Um, I mean, I could, I, I disagree a little bit in the sense though, that I don't think that um, religion is necessarily like, beneficial to you uh, in, in the sense that like, you know, you, if, if you're viewing, if you're viewing religion as, uh, as a replacement for an addiction, I feel like in a lot of ways, like, I I don't know, like you're going to lose like a lot of your friends being religious. You're going to lose the support of a community, you know, um, being like, I I don't know, like 
you're going to lose support of your friends, your family, the community for being religious. So I think in that sense, it's like I, I have trouble seeing necessarily where the high of it is. But at the same time, um, you know, all religious people are different. So, like, with my faith, like, obviously, like, me, I'm not, like, a hyper-evangelist or somebody that really preaches to anybody. Um, whereas Brian kind of is that. So, like, I think it, I think it's part of, I, I think, I think, it, I, I guess it really just boils down to who you are. I think that there's some truth in that, you know, you're training one obsession for another obsession. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, you're taking a huge risk going from being non-religious to being religious. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a perspective thing. I think everybody that's, that's part of a part of the group or whatever, all kind of has a different purpose. And the purpose for somebody like him is to be a little bit more outspoken about it, I guess. Whereas like a purpose of me, like I just, I just try to develop like real friendships with people and stuff and, you know, that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I'm just rambling at this point. I have a terrible headache. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode then. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Brian, uh, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Brian Head Welch. If you would like to keep up with Corn, you can find him simple enough: Facebook, Twitter at Corn, and Instagram at Corn underscore official. If you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at metalnexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan will tell you where he can be found. I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry, on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And you can even find me on Discord if you uh, go to DiscussMetal.com. We have a Discord server that, uh, you know, you can come on there and talk about Brutally Speaking. We do all the time. So do it. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, it's simple enough. You can find us at Brew Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our YouTube channel. Sometimes we uh, post uh, videos of us doing these uh, in-person chats that we've been known to do a handful of times. And uh, if you would like to keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can do such at TheBeanBastard.com. Facebook and Instagram at The Bean Bastard. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. We will talk to you all next time.